going to ask you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to uh, Jude, excuse me, Jude, to 3 John. You can open Jude if you want to and back up one page. 3 John. By the way, let me make uh, this uh, reference, this announcement. Um, I, want to appreciate, I appreciate uh, Thomas coming up and uh, reading the worship reading. And um, I want to uh, say this. It's, I, don't, I, I have not said it. I know I have not said it because it was actually pointed out. Uh, somebody asked, is there any reason, somebody asked my wife, is there any reason why um, men read the worship reading? Is there, can women read the worship reading? And the answer is yes. I've just had a woman, never had a woman volunteer. But if you want to uh, read a worship passage on Sunday morning um, and give a testimony of uh, why you would want to do that, um, then you can uh, let me know, and uh, we would be glad for you to be able to participate also. So, uh, Third John, I'd like you to, uh, if you highlight or underline, I'd like you to highlight John. Uh, in my Bible, it says the third epistle of John. So John is a name. If you want to highlight John, and then go to verse 1 and highlight Gaius. Uh, the Holy Spirit is speaking about Gaius much in this book. Uh, humanly speaking, the letter is written unto Gaius by John. So you have John and you have Gaius. And if you go to verse 9, you have Diotrephes. Diotrephes, so you can highlight Diotrephes also. And then if you go to verse 12, you have Demetrius. And you can highlight or underline Demetrius or put a box around a circle, however you want to. In some way, it helps me to be able to recognize that these things uh, are, go together in some way. In other words, these are the four names that are mentioned. And simply, in 14 chapters, we have uh, these four in front of us. And we have reached the point in our study of Third John, we've come down through verse 8. Uh, we've spent a few weeks already together in Third John, and we've come down to verse 9. That's where we would be in this study. And in verse 9, we are introduced to diatrophies. And I suppose there's something in my heart that truly does not rejoice in examining together diatrophies. Um, and it's probably because he's a jerk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the way it says, the description of his life in verse 11, uh, he's used as a negative example Beloved, which is Gaius, follow, that, follow not that which is evil, which is what Diotrephes is doing is evil, but that which is good. And so there's a negative contrast used. Diotrephes is a teaching point in our Bible, but it's a negative teaching point. Um, I wanted to uh, consider this together. But throughout the week, as I was going over what we're going to find, and it's verses 9, 10, 11, uh, all together, spend, I have a great deal of focus on diatrophies, which is, again, it's three out of 14 verses. And so, instead of just looking at that, I just kept thinking to my, this is, what I, this is, what I, this is really the thought that ran through my mind is, what's wrong with diatrophies? What's wrong with this guy? How is he like this? Why is he like this? There's every reason to believe that Diotrephes is the pastor of the church that Gaius probably used to go to because according to the context, Diotrephes throws out everybody that entertains 
people that are traveling through who are not part of their little flock, if they're serving God and they're coming through and you want to pour out love upon them and care for them, he says, no, no, don't do that. It's us four and no more. And so we don't have these people. And if you do, I'm excommunicating you. And so it would appear that he would have thrown Gaius out of the church. Now, we know this because we know that, that Diotrephes has uh, significant power, if you will, in the church, local church, because it says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Well, in, in our church family, if we were to say, I wrote unto the church, and I'm going to use Thomas just because Thomas was standing up here already, but Thomas, who loved to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not, well, that, wouldn't get you, that wouldn't keep you from coming to Tidewater. You know, if Thomas said, I don't want to have him, I'd say, well, that's, you don't have to come that day. And if it means that much, you don't have to come again. You know what I'm saying? That kind of a thing. So it would require somebody in a position of authority and enough authority, which it would appear probably only the senior pastor would have enough authority to literally say, if you help these people, if you show kindness to these people, if you use your resources, your money and your time to help these people along, then you're not going in the same direction as this church is going and you'll have to go. Now, I, I would submit to you that this church is not going to last very long, that this church is going to end up with diatrophies and maybe his wife, if you understand what I'm saying, and she's not going to be a very happy wife. This just, this just doesn't work. This kind, of, this kind of loving to have the preeminence just doesn't work in any of our lives, by the way. One of the things that makes me nervous is anybody that's involved in a ministry and feels like the ministry is their ministry, as if the ministry is dependent upon them. These are all belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Tidewater is his church, not my church, and everything in this church belongs to him. Every ministry that we have, whatever ministry I'm involved in, whatever ministry you're involved in, it's not my ministry, it's not your ministry, it's his ministry. We are simply the vessels that he's choosing to use so that others can see his goodness, his glory, his love through us. And if that's not what they're seeing, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, then we are wasting everybody's time and we are of no value to anybody. Because, again, the goal, the goal is that people would know how wonderful Jesus is. And if in your ministry, whatever ministry God would have you to be involved in, whatever your, uh, your, your part in the local church is, if your heart attitude is not that the people around you would see how wonderful Jesus is, then you have a problem. Because that's the only reason we're here. When you were born again, when you were saved, when you were washed in the blood, you were immediately ready to go to heaven. Just, just like that, just like the thief on the cross, saved, gone, right? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Just like that, we could leave and praise God for that. But we didn't leave. I've been saved now for over 30 years and I'm not gone. And you want to know what that means? It meant when you woke, if you're born again, if you're a new creature, when you woke up this morning and you're here, there's someone, or many someones perhaps, that Jesus wants you to be able to show how wonderful he is. He wants them to be able to see in your life his goodness, right? Is that not what he said? But you shall receive power. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and you shall be witnesses unto me, he says, unto him. We are here to bear witness to how wonderful the Lord Jesus is. Not even how wonderful our church is, not how wonderful it is to be a Baptist, not how wonderful our King James Bible is. We're here to, so people would understand how wonderful Jesus is, period. And thank God for that. Because by, there's nothing, is there anything else that you could commit yourself completely 
and holy too? And the answer is no. There are many things that we can spend time in. There are many things that we can spend some time doing, but there's nothing that we should want to pursue than our Lord Jesus Christ ourselves, and we should have every desire that the people that are around us, that when they're not around us, when they walk away, they would say, that was, that was, that was encouraging. Jesus is wonderful. And so, that's, so what's wrong with Demetrius? What's wrong with Well, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at not just what's wrong with Demetrius, but what's right with John and Gaius. And I said that, Demetrius, I'm sorry, I meant Diotrephes. What's right with John, Gaius, and, and, and Demetrius, and what's wrong with Diotrephes? We'll see that together. Father, help us. I don't know how to say it, Lord. I really, it is my desire that when we're done with this next half an hour, that everybody that's here and everybody that's watching on the live stream and everybody that will ever watch this would realize the way is there. Jesus is the way. The way is there that I can live in such a way that the people around me can receive good and that that good would point them to the Lord Jesus, the only one who is good. I ask you, Father, that you'd help us to understand not the doctrinal accuracy of that statement, but the wonderful reality of how wonderful you are yourself. That every one of us would simply just be completely lost, given over to how wonderful you are. That it would cause us, in a very real sense, to have our hearts and minds filled with singing praises to thee. I thank you, Lord, for the Sunday school hour. It was very much helpful to me personally. And the, uh, I, know, I knew what Psalms were going to be read this morning, and you caused me to go over them ahead of time. And Lord, I'm just so encouraged in how they fit also into what you're showing us together this morning. May we understand that it is your desire that we would rest, trust, and worship you. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's wrong or right? I wrote in my notes, it starts with the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Anybody ever heard the phrase, what's the matter? What's the matter? When we use the phrase, what's the matter, as a rule, when we use the phrase, what's the matter now, what we mean by that is what's, what's wrong, Right? You don't typically walk into a room where there's just a bunch of people laughing and joking and everything's going. Your children are playing, you know, somewhat quietly and joyfully in the other room. And you walk into the room and you say, what's the matter? They look at you like you're an idiot. But what's the matter? Really, what you're saying when you use the phrase, what's the matter, is what's at the heart of what's going What is this matter about? Do you understand? What is this matter about? Now, we use it because typically when we say it, the, the matter, what's going on, there's something wrong with what's going on, and we want to get to the heart of it. Let's get, so when you say, what's the matter, what you're saying is this, what's the heart of this? Right? You walk into the room, and the children are having a disagreement about something, and you don't understand exactly what the disagreement is. Typically, they're raising their voice. Sometimes they're flailing their arms. Sometimes somebody's body slamming somebody, you know, whatever it is. And you walk into the room, and you say, what's the matter? What you're, what you're expecting is that, they would explain to you why this behavior is going on. So the question is, what is the matter with diatrophies? 
And this is the point. Well, what's in his heart? Right? What's in his heart? Because that's what's the matter. What's going on? And the answer is whatever's going on in his heart, right? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mind reasons and thinks out of the abundance of your own heart. Now, the Bible talks about having our, our minds renewed by the word of God. In other words, how can my conduct and my thinking and my um, heart attitude change? And the answer is by Jesus making that change. We want Jesus to make that change. Amen? You want Jesus to make that change in your life. I want Jesus to make that change in my life. I am not interested in adjusting your pattern. I'm not interested in adjusting your pattern. What I want for you to do is I want for you to say to the Lord Jesus, mold me in your image. Make me like you. So in other words, I want you to change the matter. I want you to change my heart about this. And so what I want to look at you, there's some things that stood out. It is kind of interesting because all week long, as I said, all week long I kept thinking, what's the matter? What's the, in fact, it caused me to think about the phrase, what's the matter? What's the matter with diatrophies? What's the matter? And then I realized, well, what the matter is, is what's going on. So what's going on? What's wrong with this guy? And then yesterday, um, in our men's meeting, we were in uh, Second, Second Kings, excuse Second Chronicles chapter 12. It's in my notes because I actually changed what we're going to look at together. By the way, we don't just have to look at diatrophies. Maybe that's for my sake as much as yours. I really just don't want to just look at diatrophies. Do you understand? It's hard. It's hard to focus on people that have such selfishness and failure in them when what we really want to do is to be delivered from that. But he's here. Again, he's here as a negative example. But all of us can, well, you'll see, you will see as we look at these three points, these three simple points, you'll see that, oh, you know what? I have diatrophies in me. And I can behave very much like diatrophies in my own life personally. And so the question is, how can that matter be adjusted or changed? What's, how can our hearts be changed as they should be? So if you'll go to me, and I'm just going to have you turn to a couple places, turn to Daniel chapter 1 with me, please. This really won't take that long. And I mean that. I will say I believe as a rule... Uh, I have shot to be having you all out of here by noon uh, every Sunday morning, largely because I realize that we're constrained to where we're sitting uh, during this time. And uh, because of that, I want to be able to release you roughly at noon every, every time. And so I, as far as I can tell, I've done a good job with that. Now, at some point, the um, restrictions for coronavirus will be list, lifted and we'll be able to get it out of here again at 1231 o'clock. No, I'm just kidding. We'll just see. <clears throat> Daniel 1.8 says this, Daniel 1.8. So we're in chapter 1, look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. If you're, if you're keeping notes, I want you to, I said it's a matter of the heart. And so in this verse, we see the word heart, and we see the word purposed in his heart. So what I want to start, I want to start higher, and I want to go down to the root. So the first thing that God wants to discuss about our daily lives is 
What are you purposing? Now, I want to define the word. The Hebrew word behind purposed here is determine steadfastly, wholly, or completely. It has the idea of continuing or guarding in it. So let's read this again. But Daniel determined. Daniel was steadfast. Daniel was wholly, continually committed in his heart in a certain direction. So this is your everyday walk. This is your everyday walk. And, 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 and it literally would be said this way. You'll have to purpose in your everyday walk that some things won't be in your life, in the context, right? I'm just looking at the context. He would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. So there are certain things that you and I just don't do anymore that we used to do. There are certain things we just don't do anymore. But understand this. It isn't that we don't do them to justify ourselves or to make ourselves righteous. We don't do them, according to the Apostle Paul, because while all things are lawful, in other words, there's nothing that I could do that would ruin my salvation, all things are not expedient. Everything isn't good for me. Everything isn't something that would be beneficial to me. And everything that I can do would not be helpful or generous or kind to others. So I want to be limited in some of the things that I would do. If you want to... um, to expound upon this, go to 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter, if you don't mind, for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Very pertinent to the age in which we're living right now. 1 Peter chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. For as much then... As Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our lives may suffice that we have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them in the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. In other words, if you're going to purpose in your heart, the way Daniel purposed in his heart, that you're not going to live an ungodly or worldly life, then there will be people around you, interestingly enough, who will not be encouraged by your sobriety, by your unwillingness to put down others, by your unwillingness to go out and yell and scream and shout and and try to hurt others. They will actually put you down for saying, no, I used to live like that. I, I I I I don't know what your life was like. I do know what my life was like. My life was... These things. This was my life before I was saved. What's interesting is the word rioting shows up in verse 4. Excess of riot. And excess of riot simply means, it literally just means extremes. Now, what's interesting is we're living in an age right now, and I did not choose this at all because of the word riot. It it, it showed up as I was going through recognizing what's the difference between the way we were and the way we are now. And what I realized is, What we call riots, and if you've seen any news at all, 
You've seen people, you know, firebombing buildings and just doing silly things, and we call that rioting. And, and it is rioting, but it is such an extreme version of that that it almost is, well, it is criminal. It's supposed to be criminal. I don't, don't want to go here. It's supposed to be criminal. You know what I'm saying? You're not supposed to do that. It is really funny that the man who wanted to open his store so that he could feed his family was considered a plague on society, and the people who robbed his store during the riots are just exercising their rights. We are surely living in a time when we call evil good and good evil. But here's the point. It isn't about arguing and fussing. But it's, all, but it's also, it's just not about excessive whatever I want. Do you understand what I'm saying? What does it say? It says, you used to walk in the, we, I used to walk in the will of Gentiles, which just means I used to walk without God at all. Walked in lasciviousness, and all lasciviousness is, is uh, living in sensual pleasure, doing whatever I want. Lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. We say, well, abominable idolatries, that's ridiculous. Well, how about banqueting? Well, go banqueting? Yeah, that's, that's, everybody wants to go to a good banquet, right? You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken somebody from another world, I was going to say another country, but really it's like another world, to a buffet. And they see all these tables of food. And they say, what can I eat of this? And the answer is, well, you can eat any of it. Well, how much of it can I eat? As much as you want. And, you know, you think they would look around and say, well, that's why you guys look like you look, right? And what we have to recognize is it's, it's not that eating, you know, Daniel purposed not to eat the portion of the king's meat. That's what actually brought me to First uh, Peter chapter 4, realizing the idea of banqueting. It isn't the idea of eating the king's meat. It's like, well, what's wrong with the king's meat? Well, it's possible that it was offered to idols. It's possible that that's true. It's possible that it wasn't an honest meal, that basically he was using the meal in order to um, control Daniel's life. It's, there's a lot of things that it could have been, but here's the point. Whatever it was, he was going to, so, so it probably was that it was unclean. In other words, the diet that the king ate was not a Hebrew diet. And so he was going to eat the Hebrew's diet. But listen, listen to what, listen to what I'm saying. And this is really significant. This is really significant in light of the fact that we, if we have any understanding of how we got COVID-19, Right? How the, um, how the actual virus, which I believe is SARS-CoV-2 or something like that. That's the actual virus. How that happens is it came from an animal, possibly into another animal, and then it came into humans. And here's what, here's the truth. If we didn't have unclean animals and clean animals around each other, this wouldn't happen. If we didn't eat unclean animals, this wouldn't happen. And you say, well, what's a clean animal? And the answer is, well, God tells us what a clean animal is. And you know when he told us that? Before we understood the biology. Before we understood the viruses. The viruses are not bad. The, this, the virus that's, that kills us does not kill the animal that it was in originally. It's good inside the animal. You have viruses in you that are good inside you. They have purpose. It, this is you know, I am always amazed at how smart God is long before we have any understanding about what's going on at all. God said, don't eat this. It's in the food chain for a purpose. It has a place, but it isn't food for you. Don't eat it. 
Do you understand? Now, if you prepare anything, there are a lot of things that we can eat that they weren't allowed to eat, but there was a restriction upon their diet specifically and purposefully, and the reason they didn't mix their animals was so that they wouldn't cross the viruses between the animals, and that it wouldn't end up getting inside them. Now, this is really important. Here's the point that I'm making. When God has what we would consider to be restrictions on our conduct, they are not to take anything away from you. Do you understand? God is, I believe God is perfectly joyful with game night at your house. When you sit around the table and you eat popcorn and you drink whatever uh, beverages that you want to drink that are not going to intoxicate you and change the way your mind functions and you just enjoy time and you laugh. and I think God is completely joyful that we would do these things together. What he restricts in us are things that are going to hurt us. And he understands hurt. You know, one of the things that happens is when uh, there's so many things in the society in which we live that are not the way they should be. And it doesn't mean we don't love one another. and It doesn't mean we don't care for one another. And it doesn't mean we don't meet people right where they are, no matter where they are. But there are things that people bring into their lives that they didn't have to bring into their lives if they would just have said yes to God earlier. But how can I help them by telling them what jerks they are because they've done those things? I've done those things. You understand? You may say, well, I never did any of these things, Pastor. I must be a better person than you are. I know you, most of you. You're not a better person than I am. Do you understand? Jesus is a better person than I am. He's a better person than you are. The rest of us are equal. We just have different failings. But here's the joy. If you'll purpose, I just want to do whatever it is that God would have me to do. I'm just going to, but I have to purpose it. I have to determine. I have to be steadfast. I have to be wholly, continually given to this. I have to say, this is what I want to do. So, so that, I hope that's encouraging to you. It, it, if you're a new creature, then you don't have to walk after the flesh. You can walk after the spirit. And you can say throughout the day, I'm going to determine. How many of you have ever been tempted in something and, 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 and you overcame that temptation? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been tempted later on in the day with the same temptation? Anybody want to raise your hand? Anybody ever failed the second or third or fourth time with that temptation? Raise your hand if that's true for you also. If everybody doesn't raise their hand, that raised their hand the first few times. You either got tired of raising your hand or you're lying. Okay? All of us have been tempted more than once a day about the same thing and passed the test two or three times, but eventually your flesh says, you know, listen, listen. You've been doing really well with this, and I'm sure Jesus thinks you're a wonderful person now, but I'm having my way right now, today. And you have to say no to your flesh, or your flesh will have its way. And listen to me, listen to me, that would be unfortunate, but here's the real problem. You're going to hurt somebody else when you do that. If it were just you, it would be sad, but because it's not just you, it's tragic. Because your failure is going to hurt somebody else. You cannot control. You are not an island unto yourself. You cannot control the extent that your failure has on other people. You can sow the wind, but you will reap the tornado. That's what that's saying. You can sow the gentle breeze that you think you like so much, but when it comes back out, you will not be able to control it. And it will hurt you and it will hurt others. Or, or, and we're going to get to there eventually, to the very root of this. And the root of this is just wonderful. But you have to purpose. You know what? That's not, we're not going to do this today. We're not going to do this today. One of the things that I was thinking about, I don't know, my wife and I were doing something in it. And I don't remember what it was, but it, it just caught me through whatever it was that was going on. That God only says today. 
today. Sufficient for the day is what? The evil thereof. What about tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. Right? I don't know if anybody's ever been involved in something like Alcoholics Anonymous, anything like that. I mean, I was. And they say, one day at a time. One day at a time. Why? Because two days is too much. Because two days is too much. You know who said one day at a time long before anybody else did? God did. Because you want to know why he said one day at a time? Because he knows two days is too much. Two days is too much. Jesus is enough for today. Tomorrow, his mercies will be new. And he'll be enough for tomorrow. Amen? All I got to do is say yes to Jesus today. That's it. That's it. Tomorrow will be a completely different day, completely different battle, brand new mercies. By the way, why do we need new mercies every day? And the answer is probably because there was some failure in the day before. Amen? Before you judge other people, before you're hard on other people, make sure you don't have to have a stone thrown at you for it. You understand? And I promise you, if you're honest with yourself, you'll stop being judgmental in a, in a, in a mean-spirited way of other people. You'll still recognize that there's failure. You'll still recognize that that's not good and that's wrong. You'll still recognize that, but you won't feel like talking about them anymore. You won't feel like putting them down anymore because you'll be aware of the beam in your own eye and you won't have to worry about the mode and the people around you. God wants us to recognize that we can set in our, he purposed in his, it says Daniel purpose. What about Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael? They have to purpose themselves. Daniel can't purpose for his friends. They have to, do they purpose for themselves? Apparently they're willing to be thrown into a fiery furnace for it, right? So they're obviously purposing themselves. At what point do you decide, you know what, it's okay to violate my conscience. And you know when it is? When they open the door. And the people who open the door burn up. It's like, you know what? Hold on, hold on. I'm rethinking this whole thing. But not if you've purposed in your heart, you don't rethink this whole thing. Right? What we would call circumstantial holiness is not holiness at all. If you're only doing this because it works today, I promise you in a little while, I mean this, and I would to God that I was wrong, but I'm quite confident in a little while, it's probably going to be illegal for anybody to go to church. I would say within the next 10 years in the United States of America, unless something changes, that's going to be true. You know are going to find out then? Who really loves Jesus? Right? Who really loves Jesus? Who's willing to assemble? It's like the people in China. Who's willing to assemble when it's dangerous to do so? Yes? The early church changed the world when it was dangerous to assemble, right? We don't want to assemble if it's not 70 degrees and padded. Yes? Am I overstating it? You'd be surprised how many people have told me it's either too hot or too cold in the church. Surprised. And my answer is it's 70 degrees. At least all the thermostats are set are 71. Technically, it's 71. 71 degrees. I literally had to put a, a thermostat like this one, just like this one, in one of the pews one day and just said to the woman, when it, gets, when it gets down to 69, tell me. And it never did. You know what it is? It's 71.5 right now. And, well, too hot. Exactly. That's too hot. I've watched women sit here and fan themselves while the person next to them asks for a coat. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is. And you say, why are you mentioning that? This is why I'm mentioning that. Because you don't have any idea how much you love to have the preeminence. How much I love to have the preeminence. I want what I want. You want what you want. God help us. Truly. How about wanting what Jesus wants? Since he's the one that wants the right thing, right? He said, he said to the disciples, I have meat to eat you know not of. I only have one will, and that's to do whatever. 
<laughs> Somebody's paying themselves back there. Right? <laughs> Somebody in front of you wants a jacket. Amen. <clears throat> Let's move on. Oh, wow. Ooh, I'm going to a hard time getting out of here at 12 o'clock. Pay no attention to the clock when you leave, okay? <laughs> go to 2 Chronicles. We'll, we'll, we'll proceed quicker from here. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14. You have to turn quickly. I, I can't be wasting my time with you guys turning your Bibles. Turn quickly. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14. Check, 2 Chronicles, it's where the pages are stuck together in some of your Bibles. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14. It says, and he, and this is speaking about Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Rehoboam is the real, it's as easy, Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom, the other ten tribes. Jeroboam. Rehoboam is the king of the two tribes that are still the two tribes that matter, Judah and Benjamin. So the way you can remember that is Rehoboam is the real king. That's how I remembered. Maybe that'll help you. Rehoboam is the real king. Jeroboam is not the real king. He is a king, but he's not, he's not the descendant of David. Okay. So, so what you have here is this. He, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, did evil. But it says to us why. And he, Rehoboam, did evil because he prepared not his what? His heart to seek the Lord. This, this word is establish, fix, make ready, set in place, begin. This goes back to earlier in your day, right? In Daniel's life, he purposed all day long to keep a pattern in his life that God wanted in his life. In Rehoboam's life, he failed to set the pattern early. Whether it's early in his life or early in the day is not important. He, for, he did not did not choose to set the pattern. That's what's being here. And he, Rehoboam, did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Now notice what he's supposed to do. He was supposed to establish a pattern in his life early in his day that he was going to seek the Lord, and he didn't. Now, we don't have time, obviously, I pointed out how much time we don't have. We don't have time to go into this in detail, but this person is my son, in the book of Proverbs, my son. But here's the problem with Solomon's instruction in Proverbs. Is Solomon's instruction biblically accurate? Obviously, it's in our Bible. Is it 100% right? Yes, it's 100% right. What's, how did Rehoboam not receive such tremendous biblical counsel from the smartest man that ever lived? And here's why. Because Solomon's heart was not right either. Solomon's heart was off. You cannot tell your children, do as I say. No parent ever says not as I do. No parent ever uses that phrase that way. They just say, do as I say. But what they're really saying is, do as I say, not as I do. Children are young, not dumb. If it was really important, you wouldn't do it. Or if it was really important, you would do it if you're telling me to do it. Yes, no? Anybody have a problem with this? Anybody ever failing this in the lives of their children? Anybody worried about failing right now? You ought to be worried about failing right now if you don't have very old children. It matters to you that you walk with Jesus, not in pretense, because if you're pretending, your kids know. They know whether it's real or not. Children understand the difference between real and make-believe. They do understand the difference. They do not care what comes out of your mouth. 
They care what happens with your hands and your feet. Your actions speak a lot louder than your words do. Did David have the right heart? The answer is he did. Did David fail? He did. But he was a man after God's own. It was his heart. You read it. Read the Psalms. It's interesting. Solomon wrote Proverbs. God used him. Why? Because he made him wise. But David had a heart. And so David wrote the Psalms, which are filled with worship and praise. You want to know what the difference between smart and worship is? You can be smart, but worship is when you know you're not, and he is. Worship's when you worship. I'm not talking about tipping your hat to God. I'm talking about worship. God is worthy of my praise. God is worthy of these things. That's what I want. That's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to sing about. Jesus is awesome. Amen? That's what he's saying. He didn't do that. You need to do that. You need to not just purpose throughout the day, but you need to prepare in your life. I hope you wrote those down. The last one's in Psalm two places. I want to look in two places. Psalm 511. Psalm 511. And I need to rush or I'm going to be a liar. Psalm 511. It says, this is in contrast to what's earlier. But let all those that put their trust, that's what I want you to highlight. So we have purposed, prepared, and lastly, put their trust. Put their trust. Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful, what? In thee. Now go with the, keep this right in your margin, Psalms 511, and now write Psalms 28.7 and, and turn there with me. Psalm 28.7. There's a whole sermon for Psalms 28.7. I have literally more points for Psalm 28.7 than the rest of my notes, but we won't look at that today. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth, right? This is put their trust. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise, what? Him. So what I want you to notice is put your heart's trust in God. And this is the foundation, right? You say, well, you know, if purposing all day long is important and preparing is important, then is there anything more important than preparing? And the answer is yes. Where do you put your trust? Where do you put your trust? Now, this is, really, this is significant. So this is a, this is a monitor. This monitor. That thermostat is tied to this monitor. So it keeps track of what the temperature is. Remember I told you that it's a certain temperature in the building? This is one of the reasons that I know that. Those, they all keep track for themselves, and we have these in different places. And the idea is so that it would be consistently comfortable in the whole church. Uncomfortable, too hot for somebody. Uncomfortable, too cold for somebody else. But consistent, at least. <clears throat> Listen, this is not valuable other than to keep temperature. These are my keys. This has a, church to the, a key to the church on it, a key to my house on it, a key to my car on it, a tile in case I ever misplace it, 
which I don't think I've ever used for mine, um, because it's the kind of person that I am. Because I mean, that means that either this is hanging by the door out of our house, or to be on the desk in my office, or it's lost. <laughs> you want to know why? Because I pay attention to where I set this, because it's important to me. I'm surprised, and I have two people in my family who are, who, 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 by the way, they use this part. I actually bought these for them. I just got one for me when I got it. You know what you can do? You can, with your phone, you can say to your tile, announce your presence wherever you are in the house, and it will play a tone. A tone, by the way, that makes Wendy think you're about to kill her. You know what I'm saying? She's terrified when the tone goes off because it reminds her of a shock collar she had when she was younger. Okay? It must make a very similar tone. You say, why are you mentioning your keys? And the answer is, because these are valuable enough to me that I mark where I put them. They're valuable enough to me that I mark where I put them. Yes? Anybody else have anything you mark where you put it? Anybody know where their Bible is when you're not using it? Anybody know where their wallet or their purse is? We have those for by the, in our family. We have those that go in the purse and wallet also, so you can find those, okay? Right? I know where my wallet is. It's in my office, okay? You can go get it if you want. There's no money in it, but you can go get it, Okay? Right? If I were leave, when I leave the church, it'll be in this back pocket. Right? We have that kind of a thing. You say, why are you going on about this? And the answer is because where's your trust? Where's your trust? What do you actually, tr- what do you actually trust in? And if it's not God, your trust is in the wrong place. Do you understand? Is your trust in your church membership? Is your trust in my ability to accurately preach and teach? Your trust better be in Jesus. Better be in Jesus. Really, truly, it better be in Jesus. Listen, more foundational than preparing, certainly more foundational than purposing all day long, but even more foundational than preparing is where did you put your trust to begin with? If you put your trust in Jesus, then when you wake up in the morning, if your trust is really in Jesus, you'll be glad to prepare your heart. And as you go through the day, you'll be glad with purposing not to do other things. Why? Because my trust is in Jesus anyway. But here's what I want you to know. I don't have time because I told you guys I'd, I'd let, have you out of here no later than 12.05. I'm pretty sure it's exactly what I said earlier. <laughs> I want you to notice, here's what I did. In, in, in verse uh, 28, verse 7, I highlighted the word the, the, the word the Lord, right, which is Jehovah. Jehovah. And it doesn't, the word the is supplied for us that so we know that there's only one. But capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is Jehovah. So there's only one named God, and that's who he is, is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song will I praise him. He's the foundation, and it's my joy. Do you understand? He, where is your trust And if your trust is in Christ, how would I know that your trust was in Christ? Because if your trust is in Christ, so is your song. Do you understand? So is your safety. Where is your safety? Is it your bank account, your job, your parents? Where is your safety? Where is your shield? What guards you? What takes care of you? And the answer is Jesus. And here, listen, listen. The enemy, all he has is lies. And he wants you to see the news or read the news or talk about somebody else around you about the news and to take your eyes off of Jesus and to watch the wind and the waves and say, surely there's a terrible storm. There is a terrible storm. 
There, it really is a terrible storm going on all around us. You know who's greater than that storm? Jesus. Where's your trust? Right? Well, I'm in a pretty good boat, and I've got some pretty qualified people with me. You're in trouble. If your hope's in your boat, and the people in the boat with you, you're in trouble. You need, your, your trust needs to be in the Lord Jesus. But, and this is where we'll end. But if your trust is in the Lord Jesus, you'll notice that they're singing associated with that. Yes? I, 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 got, I, I, I know I said I was going to let you out, but I really need to close with this. I've been thinking a lot about this recently, maybe because I think it's coming for some of us. Paul and Silas were beaten for rescuing a little girl. Anybody disagree with me? That's exactly what happened. Paul and Silas rescued a little girl, and then they were beaten for it and thrown into jail. And at midnight, in that jail, which was not uh, the correctional center here, no cable television, no bathroom, no lights, nothing, literally bleeding down their backs, they worshiped Jesus. They sang, they didn't make it up. You know what we should do? We should pretend we're okay, just in case anybody's listening, and we'll sing. They wanted to sing. They didn't get a bad deal. They wanted to sing. It matters how you go through what you go through. It matters. It matters. If you're looking at getting out of it, I don't think you understand why you're in it. What God wants you to do is be, learn to sing while you're bleeding down the back for rescuing a little girl because you care more about her than you do about yourself. That's what God wants to give us. See, purposing, preparing, matter. But where you put your heart, that's what matters. And I'll know where you put your heart. We'll know where you put your heart when they come to beat you for it. Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, we're not like you. All of us hear these things. And we're grateful and glad that you can give this kind of victory. But we all acknowledge that we need this kind of victory in our lives. But Lord Jesus, it's who you are. It's just who you are. You stood up over the entire nation of Israel and said, how many times would I have gathered you all together? How many times would I put you under my wings? How many times would I have loved you and taken care of you? But you would not. And Lord, we recognize that the world around us is in chaos and they will not that you should have any dominion or love or care over them. They don't want that. But Lord, we do. And we want to be whatever help we can be to them. And we realize the only way to help them is to worship you and to put our trust in you and then to prepare our hearts and to purpose all day long. Otherwise, we're going to be idiotrophies. We're going to be selfish. We're going to want to be our way. And we're going to hurt people around us that don't like our way. Bless us, Father. Forgive us. Strengthen us. And be glorified in our lives. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 